Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What up? It's your boy Dean Thomas here. Thank you for stopping by and having a listen. This is my new show, as if I needed a new fucking show. But this is two shows down. This is the third episode, and this show is called Dean's Got Answers. Answers to what? Answers to anything and everything. In this show, I'll break down the questions you have about the UFC. I'll provide my answers. It might not be what you're looking for, but guess what? I know that's not why you're tuning in, right? You want to hear from me. Dean Thomas, UFC vet, coach to the biggest names of the sport, co-star of Dana White looking for a fight, host of the Dean Diaries. I'm an analyst, podcaster, comedian, influencer. I do it all. I've been there. I've done that. But I'm going to keep this show simple. Each episode, I'm going to tackle three questions about the UFC. I'm going to give you my take, my opinion, and my answers to each. I'll hit on everything from the fun and wild moments the sport has to offer to the inner workings of the sport. No question is off limits. And by the way, if you have a question for me, you can always just DM me at Dean Thomas. At Dean, spelled D-I-N, Thomas. Oh, you know what else I'm going to do? Each episode, I'm going to slide up into my Rolodex and highlight a homie for a second opinion. I'll bring on the biggest names of the sport, see if they agree or disagree with me. Today, I'm going to holler at one of the top lightweights in the world, Benil Dariush. On this episode... I'm going to break down and answer the following questions. First, now what the fuck is up with, and I'm going to talk about some crazy moments of the sport, but what the fuck was up with all the madness at UFC 281? Every fight on the main card was a finish. Izzy gets finished for the first time in his MMA career. Crazy. And I had on a brand new tailor-made suit. You can see the pictures of that. It was fly. Second, who deserves to fight for the Bantamweight and Lightweight titles? Man, Those are the best divisions in the UFC. It's crazy how they can't find a legit, real contender. But they got to find somebody. And third, what's more effective in MMA? Sambo or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? I tell you what, some of y'all going to be pissed off when y'all hear this answer. But turn up the volume, kick back, and take heed to the words I speak. The UFC has had so many exciting cards over the years, but arguably one of the best in recent memory just happened. I know that's cliche to say, but it did. So I must break down and answer what the fuck was up with all the madness at UFC 281. New York City, Madison Square Garden represent. Every fight on the main card was a finish. From the first fight of the night, Carlos Oberg. God, I hate that guy. He's good looking. All the girls love him. And he kicked my ass. 
and he had Nico Negamorano slumped up like a drunk dude at the bar because his wife just ran off with a guy that looked like Carlos Oberg. I hate him. And to the last fight of the night, the most anticipated and revenge fight was the main event. Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pajera. A fight filled with a movie-like storyline and it didn't disappoint. Now let's face it, in terms of skill, Izzy's just a better fighter. He was beating Alex to the punch. He was making a miss. He was tagging Alex for the majority of the fight. And to everyone's surprise, Izzy outgrappled Alex. He looked like Khabib on Alex. Okay, I'm getting carried away. I'm bullshitting. He ain't look like Khabib. He looked more like a blue belt playing around with a brand new friend who never trained before. But that's not the point. Izzy showed a well-roundedness like he's never done before. So much that Alex's corner told him he needed to finish Adesanya before the fifth round. And boy, did he get it. He trapped Izzy against the fence and exploded on him. He got the stoppage. After the fight, Glover Teixeira came up to me. And while he seemed relieved, he was upset with Alex for taking too long. He said he told Alex he needed to finish. And Alex looked at him and said, I do. As if he didn't know. Well, the message got through and Alex prevailed. Now, it's easy to suggest that Alex is Izzy's kryptonite. And it's a tough argument to disprove it considering their history. But you have to understand that even though Alex is up 3-0 on Izzy, that's still relatively a small sample size. And if you talk to total control of the fight time that they've had, Izzy still kind of controls that. He just hasn't figured out a way how to stop the big moments of Alex. And there's a reason for that. Izzy isn't a big enough puncher to deter Alex from continuing to pursue him and his finishing ability on the ground isn't strong enough yet. Izzy should be able to get an immediate rematch. When he figures out how to put more fear into Alex to keep him out of his face, maybe he can finish him. This is good for Izzy though. Everyone needs a rival to keep them on their toes. But even before that fight, there was madness in the building, the co-main event, had a women's strawweight title up for grab as Carla Esparza faced off against Zhang Weili. A lot of people might think it was a surprise that Weili would finish on the ground. I did not. I figured Weili would be the better fighter everywhere and it would be relatively easy. In fact, Carla did better than I thought she would. To no one's surprise, Weili immediately showed the dominance on her feet. She was better, better technique, smoother, more comfortable and powerful. We all knew that Carla needed to get this on the ground, and she did. But even when she did, now what? Just because you get it to the ground doesn't mean you're going to be any better on the ground. However, Carla, she held her own for a while. But in a transition in the second round, while Whaley was defending a shot, she found the neck of Carla. And at the end of the day, you don't defend chokes in wrestling. And that is what happened. I don't think many people suspected Carla to hold the belt for that long. And honestly, I'm not even sure Whaley is going to hold it for that long. Rose is still out there, and I think Amanda Lemos presents a major problem for anybody at the top. There's still a lot of work for both of them out there. Good luck. Another fight that lived up to expectations was Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler. This bloody fight had some insane moments, and we all knew it would. It played out the way a lot of people thought it would. Chandler would pour it on early, Dustin surviving, slowing it down to a manageable pace, then taking over. Dustin, after a complete bloodbath that we saw Michael Chandler spewing blood all over Dustin's face like a horror movie, found the finishing choke in the third round. Now, it's easy to suggest that Michael Chandler could fight smarter, but he wouldn't be him. If he fought smarter, he would not be him. 
He doesn't have the skill set to fight a slow, strategical, tactical fight. Just because you can play one instrument doesn't mean you can play them all. He might understand what it means to fight smart, but can he do that at a high level? Probably not. It's just not him. I think Michael Chandler fights his best when he fights wild, and we love him for it regardless. There's still life left for both fighters. They may not be realistic about their chances for a title, though. If that's the case, I wouldn't doubt if we saw them both move up in weight and fight in super fight style matches. Weight classes are designed to establish contenders for the title. If you don't want to put yourself in that race, why cut all the weight? Just move up and have some fun. I see both of those guys doing that in the future. But even before that, more madness ensued as legend of the sport Frankie Edgar had his last fight in the organization at UFC 281 against Bantamweight, the very talented Chris Gutierrez. And this fight didn't disappoint. Or maybe it did. There's something about watching legends go out like that. I honestly don't like to see it. But you can't tell these knuckleheads nothing. They don't listen. They must learn the hard way and it's only fair. It's their life, their career. They can go out the way they choose. Chris put it on Frankie from go to KO. He couldn't miss. He peppered him with punches and kicks that made Frankie look like he didn't even belong in there. About two minutes in, Frankie ate a knee that put him out. Great showing for Chris, but it's always sad to see our legends flatline. Now, Chris is a very talented individual in the most talented division. He's barely ranked. And when I think about some of the other talented guys in the division, Adrian Yanez, Mario Bautista, Jonathan Martinez. It's hard not to get excited about some of the fights you can make here. I love this division and I love what they're bringing to the table. But all this madness of the main card kicked off with the first fight of the night between Dan Hooker and Claudio Poyas. Now make no mistake about this. Poyas is a dangerous fighter. His leg lock game is lethal. In fact, I thought Poyas was going to win and I thought it put Hooker in a very tough spot. And you know what? Poyas had his moments. Now, a lot of people will criticize Poyas for his approach. His approach wasn't wrong. His butt scooting was actually not wrong. It's not a common approach to see how fighters attack, but sometimes it can be successful. It's the stuff we're going to be talking about on Monday morning if it works. Now, it wasn't successful, so now we're talking about it for a different reason. But trust me, it wasn't his approach that was embarrassing. It was his lack of diversity. Because Poyas has been so successful with leg locks, he was expected to get it. And when he didn't, he panicked. And he didn't have another plan. Now, his original plan was fine, but you have to have another plan. This is chess, this ain't checkers. You need more. So Poyas, go find more. But credit to Dan Hooker, who was able to remain calm, defend himself, and put Poyas away. Dan is made of something different, and you have to admire it. So I ask you, what the fuck was up with the madness at UFC 281? The entire main card ended in a finish. 11 of 14 fights of the night ended in a finish. So what crazy ass storyline is going to happen in the UFC world next? We just going to have to wait and see. The UFC's Bantamweight and Lightweight divisions are both stacked. So who deserves to be next to challenge for the Bantamweight and Lightweight titles? First... Let's take a look at the Bantamweight division. We got Aljamain Sterling, the most unfairly treated champ in history. Second, Sean O'Malley. Next, we got Marab, Piotr Jan, Marlon Vera, TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen, and the list goes on from there. 
Now, Sean O'Malley rose up 10 spots to become the number one contender in the division after a very close split decision over Piotr Jan. Now, even though he's the number one contender, is he ready to fight Aljamain Sterling? That is the question. Now, what I find to be completely interesting is that prior to the O'Malley and Jan fight, everybody was talking about the winner would get a title shot. Now, was that because Jan was a three-to-one favorite and we all thought he was going to win? And most people thought he was champ anyways, as if Aljo got lucky beating him. Funny how now... O'Malley gets to win. We don't hear a lot about a fight between Aljo and O'Malley. I believe that is a terrible fight for O'Malley. And clearly, other people do too because no one is talking about making that fight happen. It's so obsolete that even Aljo doesn't take it seriously enough to demand it. In Aljo's case, he says he wants to take a little break anyway. Luckily for him, it works out so these other guys can fight it out and figure it out. I believe it's a perfect time to have Sean O'Malley fight Cheeto Vera. And then the winner of that can fight Aljo. By that time, Aljo should be ready to fight. Now, any of these other guys can fight Marab, who actually might be the best fighter in the division. But since he won't fight Aljo, you can't have him knocking off contenders on the way up. Now, did I tell you I witnessed Marab do about 60 pull-ups on the scaffolding on the streets of New York, walking back to the hotel from MSG after UFC 281? Dress shirt and all, it was the most insane thing I've ever seen. This guy is an absolute maniac. The only other name that comes to mind in terms of fighting for the belt would be Henry Cejudo. Now his accolades are unmatched. Triple C. Now it's hard to become champion in just one thing. This man did it in three different ways. UFC flyweight, UFC bantamweight, and Olympic gold medalist. And for that reason, you have to put some respect on the boy's name. Now, unfortunately, this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. Him taking so much time off didn't do him any favors. Now, fighters have to be careful playing hardball and overestimating their value. It's a dangerous game to play if you lose. Now, only time will tell what the value of Henry Cejudo is to the fans and to the UFC. If it's there, he'll get a shot. If it's not, he can take a seat next to Nikolai Negamaranu at the bar. Now, the lightweight title picture is even messier as the featherweight champion and the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter, Alexander Volkanovsky, will move up and get the next shot at the lightweight title at UFC 284 on February 11th in Australia in a fight that could determine the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world. Nothing is pissing lightweights off like Volk moving up and getting a shot. However, those that are actually in position to complain can't because they already had their shot. Does Volkanovski deserve to fight for a lightweight title? Now here's the thing, how do you tell the best pound for pound fighter in the world he can't move up and fight for a title? After what he did to Max Holloway, I'm here for it. I mean, we wouldn't tell John Jones he couldn't move up to heavyweight to fight Francis. Why are we gonna tell Alex anything different? And I do believe this fight can be more competitive than you think. I still lean towards Islam because of his grappling and his control but I think Alex has what it takes to keep it close and not get mauled. I think with his movement, his high level fight IQ and his stature, he can make things very difficult for Islam. I think Islam might have a hard time getting inside on Alex and being able to control him. Alex is shorter, but he uses that to his advantage on the inside. 
the biggest issue with this fight happening is that we might be screwing Benil Dariush after his win against Mateus Gamrot. Now, based on merit alone, how could you not give Benil a shot? His run is as impressive as any, and he's done everything we've asked of him, except have fan support. And unfortunately, at the end of the day, this is a TV show and we need ratings. In spectator sports, and especially in this industry, it's not always about merit, it's about viewership as well. Merit and ability is a given. You have to have that to be there. But what separates you from others is your ability to have people want you to be there so bad that they're going to pay money to see you. And at the end of the day, that is the bottom line. Bills have to be paid. Now, I believe Benil has a good skill set to compete with Islam. Now, even before Islam was champion and these two were supposed to fight before, I was looking forward to it. Now, I don't think any more of Islam now that he beat Oliveira and became champion. I always thought highly of him. I'm just not sure Benil ever had the skill set and had it in him to beat Islam before. But what I know that he does have, he has the skill set, the heart, and the resume to warrant him an opportunity to prove it. And with that said, I'm not sure anybody other than Volkanovski or Benil is worthy at a shot at the lightweight title. I'd be more interested in seeing Islam dare to be great himself and move up to welterweight and scrap with those boys before we give another person a shot. Now, who deserves to be next to challenge for the Bantamweight and lightweight titles? To cap it, the winner of O'Malley and Cheeto Vera for Bantamweight and Alexander Volkanovsky at lightweight. Now, especially after the Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhachev fight at UFC 280, it has us all wondering, what's more effective in MMA, Sambo or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Now, this goes all the way back to the old days. Think Mario Sperry and Igor Zinoviev. Igor won that one. Henzo Gracie and Oleg Taktorov. Henzo won that one. But first, let's take a look at what they are at the core of the root. What is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu focuses on the skill of taking an opponent to the ground, controlling the opponent, and gaining a dominant position and using a number of techniques to force them into submission via joint locks or chokeholds. But what is Sambo? Well, Sambo is a Russian martial art fighting style or combat sport developed in the Soviet area Russia. Now, Sambo combines the ground fighting and grappling aspects of judo and wrestling, such as throws and submission holds, with the use of standing fighting techniques such as punches, kicks, knee strikes, and elbows. So to further answer this question, what's more effective in MMA, Sambo or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I had to holla at a homie. So please welcome the number four ranked lightweight in the world, BJJ Black Belt, head coach at King's MMA in Anaheim, and all-around gangster, my man, my brother, Benil Dariush. So now I am here. I got my homie with me. It's always a pleasure to talk to my good man, Benil. Benil, what's happening? What's up, brother? Good to see you. So we've been talking about what's more effective, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Sambo for MMA? So like just off the top of your head, just give me your uh, basic answer. It's not simple, but I would say Sambo because, yeah, I'm going to say Sambo, but it's not simple because we have put Jiu-Jitsu in a box right now. The way we do Jiu-Jitsu is like, okay, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to pull guard and uh, I'm going to work my way up or like some guys will do takedowns, but you know, Jiu-Jitsu is, I think, 
in reality is the best base as far as grappling goes because in mm -hmm. wrestling you only have the you only focus on takedowns and control in sambo yeah, you have a little bit of both, but I think it's a little bit more wild. In reality, jujitsu is the best because if you do it right, if you're not putting it in a box where you do make your wrestling the best, because you can incorporate all the wrestling you want into your jujitsu. You cannot incorporate jujitsu into wrestling. That's right. the difference. Like you can't you can't pull guard in wrestling, but in in, in, in jujitsu you can do all the takedowns you want and use those takedowns to be successful. So I think jujitsu, there's more routes in jujitsu, and there's more um, there's more ways to win and, and more things to do in jujitsu. But for some reason, we put it in a box and we say, oh, I have to have a good guard, and I have to just like not let my guard get past. And, and if you just think of it like that, it's actually not that good for MMA. Well, so I mean, so when you think about it, it's not necessarily jujitsu that's not good for MMA, but essentially the way it's been applied as of right now based on who's applying it yes it's the mindset think of it like this the mindset is super important because for example the reason why wrestlers do so well in mma is their mindset of drilling they they drill a lot and when you give them new new information sometimes they won't even like it but they'll drill it and because they continue to drill it it loves it lets them grow so there's a reason why the more you drill the, the, the better your foundation is, you know? So that's what makes wrestlers so good. They'll have like an hour, hour and a half practice and they'll just be drilling the whole time. And, and I don't see that with um, with a lot of guys in, in, in uh, other sports, even boxing. Like guys will hit minutes, guys will do these drills. I would say more than jujitsu. I think that's where we're, if anything we're missing in jujitsu is the fact that we don't drill as much as we should. Okay, so now let's talk about maybe even just the more technical aspect. So like that's the mentality, the philosophical aspect, but the more technical aspect, I mean, you said there's a lot of different ways to win in jujitsu and a lot of different routes that you can take in terms of a fight. So what do you think are the most effective ways that you can use jujitsu in terms of the skill set and the technical skill set of it? So as far as jujitsu goes for MMA purposes, you can incorporate that wrestling as far as takedowns you can have amazing takedowns no one's stopping a, a, a jiu-jitsu guy from having good takedowns the only person stopping a jiu-jitsu guy from having uh, good takedowns is is the jiu-jitsu guy so if the jiu-jitsu guy is willing to use good takedowns and then control it makes him so hard to deal with it makes him very dangerous now what do you think makes jiu-jitsu guys a little bit different like the ones who are so i mean you think about jiu-jitsu guys there's some who've been tremendously loyal to the art guys like Damian Maya, Hani Yaya. What do you think makes them so successful? Because I mean, they've been able to compete at the highest level with just basically using just pure jujitsu and very limited striking. Damian Maya is a great example of incorporating good wrestling into jujitsu. What he did so well was, okay, he's going to shoot first. Always looks to shoot first. If I can get the takedown, great. Can't get the takedown from the shot pulls guard from that guard establishes a position where he can either come back on top or establish a submission and he continued to make that refine that process more and more and more and it became so dominant that's why he was so dominant with it and uh, his ability to go from like bottom half guard to your back to a finish like these are the things he just continued to refine over the years and he understood that he wasn't going to be this best striker and and so because of that his foundation and grappling was so strong and and that's what made him so good i i think it was knowing the routes that he was going to take and continuing to refine those routes all right so 
how much experience do you have personally with Sambo? I don't, uh, well, I have a guy here, uh, Nikolai. He was, uh, he fought in a lot of Sambo. And um, I understand there's combat Sambo and then there's regular Sambo. Bro, it's intense. Like, you know, the guys in the shorts and the gi and the gi top. Because the way you can grab each other and throw knees, it's deadly. It's very deadly. So, I mean, that seems like it translates over to MMA a little bit better because you're dealing with that from the jump. I mean, you know, like in jujitsu, like you said, we put it in a box, but I mean, it's always kind of been in a box, more so now than ever. But when you're talking about jujitsu, think about it. It's like you start jujitsu from a beginner and you're learning self-defense and you're learning how to stand up and you're learning respect and bowing. But it seems like in the Sambo route, it starts off with sport and combat. Yeah. So I would say it like this, uh, exactly like you said it, and that's the reason why I picked Sambo. I would say Sambo is a better way to approach MMA in terms of the all-around game. But for the ground game, Jiu-Jitsu is much more refined, and it's I think it's way ahead of Sambo. In why terms why of do you the, think that? Because in terms of submissions, in terms of um, the details in the submissions, and, and the ways you get up, and the things you do, and not having that gi top, because that gi top makes a big difference in, in, in Sambo. I think having to to work without that uh, in nogi specifically it's more detailed and i think they're just ahead i think i would say they're a couple of generations ahead of sambo still okay even so, the leg locks right for sure so you know in 2013 the phrase if sambo was easy it would be called jujitsu and that went viral khabib wore the t-shirt when that came out i mean it was kind of a big deal i mean it was a, a big slap in the face to jujitsu and i know that you're a representative of jujitsu so what did you think about that? And is there any truth to it? There is truth to it in the fact that, like I mentioned, jujitsu guys, they take the the safest course. They go out there, they pull guard, and and they kind of work that route. While Sambo, like, it's looked down upon. So they have to go through the takedown. They have to fight from every situation. But at the same time, the depth of jujitsu, the foundation of jujitsu, I think is way deeper than Sambo. So I think those are the difference. I still think Sambo is all around, is a better approach for uh, MMA. For the ground, jujitsu is, is a better foundation. Now, it seems to me like there's always been kind of a beef. I mean, we talk about American wrestling versus jujitsu. I mean, we've always talked about that, but I've always thought that there was a, a rivalry between Sambo and jujitsu for the longest time. And I think it goes back to Igor Zinoviev and Mario Sperry and you know henzo gracie yes. and oleg taktorov so so to me like that's the rivalry that's kind of all i mean in minotauro and fedor so 100 percent. and here's the thing if we're talking about combat sambo or are we talking about regular sambo because if we're talking about regular sambo i think jiu-jitsu is better because mm -hmm. i think if you have a no time limit match in regular sambo against a jiu-jitsu guy i think the jiu-jitsu guy will win because his depth in submissions is greater right. that's my opinion but if, if we're talking about, um, you know, combat uh, in, in terms of MMA, yeah, that's going to be different. And so it's always been back and forth. Well, I, you know, to honestly, Benil, like to me, I've always felt that the time limits for jujitsu guys have been their biggest opponent. Not size, not strength, but the time limits, because I've always felt like time limits made jujitsu guys force them to make mistakes because then they couldn't play the type of game that they wanted. Definitely in, in just pure grappling, time limit is is um, is against the jiu-jitsu guy because he's more comfortable with longer matches. He's, he's willing to uh, play it safe and whatever. But when there is a time limit, 
they, they rush, they make mistakes, they get caught and stuff. But at the same time, if it were talking combat, you know, they used to do those old matches in, in jiu-jitsu where they have like uh, a jiu-jitsu guys would do like uh, Valley Tudo fights and they'd last like two, three hours. That's not great for the jujitsu guy. Even if he wins, that guy's coming out with some brain damage. You know, you don't want too many of those. So <laughs> for sure, there's there's so much to it. But like, what are you gonna, what what route are you gonna take? It's all about the routes you take and how refined you're gonna make those routes. Because if you pick the routes and you refine them to the best of your capabilities, that's what makes you a champion. As far as what your uh, what what uh, martial art you pick you can find success with whatever martial art. And we've seen that. We've seen champions that are strikers. We've seen champions that are grapplers. For example, you've picked boxing as your foundation. What are you going to, now that's your main route. All those other little routes that you need to know, your grappling, your, your like, how are you gonna approach grappling? Are you going to have a great sprawl? How, are you gonna be able to be good at getting up? Those are the routes you have to also pick and you have to refine those routes because when you're in those bad situations, you have to find a way to get back into good situations. So, bro, it's it's a, like the whole, this martial art is better than that martial art, that martial art is better than this martial art. It gets old because, um, I don't think it's that simple. I think the best thing is your mindset. I think what kind of mindset you out you have and how hard you're willing to work, that's that's really what's important. Because I was going to ask you, because like it seems to me, like especially with the Sambo, even combat Sambo, it's a good mixture of wrestling and submissions and striking, but that's not very much different from like old school what Lucha Livre was or what Pancrase was. But So why right. are the Russians more dominant than everybody else doing that same thing? Well, I mean, how many catch wrestling gyms here do you know? I don't know any, you know. That's what I'm saying. It's not yeah. popular here. That's the reason why. We picked uh, collegiate wrestling. That's like our sport. We have uh, boxing. That's our that's our sport. We don't really, like, who practices catch wrestling? We don't have that many guys. Jiu-Jitsu, it's new to America. And I think that's the difference. The reason why they're so much more successful in these other sports is because they love them. They, they enjoy them more, and so they, they spend more time in them and they, they put more effort into these sports. So then I gotta ask you, so now, you know, knowing this, it almost seems as though they have a leg up. Now, your next fight could very well be against a Sambo guy, one of the best in the world in Islam. What is it that yeah. you need to do differently to take your jujitsu in there and to compete against this man? I believe my wrestling is, is just as good, if not better than his, right? But as far as what I need to do for my jujitsu, I can't be so close-minded with my jujitsu where it's like, okay, he took me down. I have to play guard like a traditional guard. I have to be willing to get up. And unlike those guys who get up and then, and that's it, just get up. In the process of getting up, I need to be able to threaten him. This is different. This kind of jujitsu is very different. For example, I'm, I'm working a get up but he gives me a leg, I take the leg. I'm working a get up, he gives me his neck, I take the neck. I'm, I'm working my get up, he gives me a sweep, I take the sweep. You have to create a uh, different kind of jujitsu because you can't just have a jujitsu where you're on your back and you're waiting for submissions because the longer you wait, the more punches you take. But when you can create a pressure and that pressure is coming from the threat of you getting up and so he has to commit into, uh, into uh, stopping you from getting up, that creates for me opportunities to make the ne uh, take the next step. And that's what I did in my, my last fight. The few times that I was taken down, because I threatened the get up, I was able to uh, find avenues of threatening his leg, 
I found avenues of getting back up safer than before, basically getting myself out of danger. So if I'm going to fight with jiu-jitsu against uh, Makachev, it will be a different kind of jiu-jitsu, something that they're not familiar with. And that's, so that's going to be my weapon. So I was going to, and that brings me to my next question. Do you think that maybe, like you said in the very beginning, that jujitsu is kind of in a box, that this is the outside of the box jujitsu, the part of jujitsu that hasn't really been evolved to adapt to current MMA, I think. And that is which exactly what you're talking about. Yes. And the thing is, in the beginning, it did. Like people were coming over with jujitsu and they kind of started and they stopped. It became just get up. The new thing yeah. is just get up, get up, get a wizard move your way up there's no threatening people as you're getting up there's zero threats like you watch guys who work to get up there's zero threats they're like okay they put their hands on the ground they get their backs to the wall and then they start build up there's never a threat of the guy attacking you like you never threaten his like his legs you never threaten his neck but they're there if you look for them they're there there's ways to attack there's ways to put him in trouble there's ways to take the back there's there's a lot of things there and I think because we don't do that, we, we haven't evolved. So jujitsu has an opportunity right now to adapt and, and grow and evolve. And um, I'm, I'm, I wanna be at the forefront of that. Well, Benil, you have to come to one of the sessions. I was just doing a session with Ryan Hall and we were just discussing these things about how to evolve jujitsu better for MMA. So, and we were talking about bringing Kenny Florian over. So maybe we need to have you over as well. That would be great. He's actually a guy I've watched. For example, from the 50-50, I made a mistake in my last fight in the 50-50, but I've, I've watched some of his stuff. I've tried to take from it. He does some awesome things from there. He, he has very good ideas. He's definitely ahead of me in, in certain positions, but then there's other positions that I think that I might have something to add to, but I, maybe not. He might know him as well anyways, but he's definitely in certain There are positions that he has mastered. He's very good. Well, I'll tell you, he's a very creative thinker and he's a he's a he's a genius in, in terms of body mechanics mm -hmm. and things so he's very creative and he's just in this small little town of virginia and he doesn't have a lot of other people out there with him to help him create so this is why i was like this is important for us to get together and and master these positions because jujitsu needs to come make a comeback 100 percent. and the only reason we're not making a comeback is because we are stuck in the old ways there's there's new things man there's a jujitsu is growing so fast and no one seems to want to be taking part in it. It's it's weird. So and so one last thing, Benil. If not Islam or the winner of Islam and Volk, who do you want? Well, I, I'm hoping for Charles because he's number one. I, I want to fight the best guys in the world, and I do believe Charles is one of them. And then I was hoping it was uh, if Charles says no, I would have been Dustin Poirier. But I also saw an interview with Dustin Poirier saying. He's not really excited about about me, which at first I was upset, and then I'm like, okay, it's disappointing, whatever. But I, but honestly, I'm kind of more like, listen, Dustin, if you're not trying to fight the best guys in the world, this might not be the sport for you anymore. You should genuinely consider retiring because in this sport, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. If you're not back in the gym and you don't have that fire, there's these young guys, man. There's the next generation is coming and they're dogs and they're good and i know and i know dustin i know he can dig deep and he's 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 amazing but bro if you're not willing to get back in the gym you're not willing to learn new stuff you're not willing to take these extra steps you're not willing to fight the best guys this might not be the sport for you man you might get hurt that would be think my thing for dustin because if he's not excited to fight me like 
this this might not be the best sport for him. Well, I appreciate that, and I will express that sentiment to him. I'm sure yeah. it may make its rounds to him, but I appreciate you, Benil, man. You are the man. I look forward to seeing you fight. You've been doing great things, man, and I'm very proud of you for the success you've had, and it's just been a pleasure to watch you grow, man. You are the man. Thanks, brother. You take care. All right, man. Peace. Well, that was a great conversation I just had with Benil Dariush. I love talking to the man. He's a very progressive thinker. He gave me his insight as to what he thought was more important in MMA between Sambo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. As for me, I truly believe that it comes down to the individual. Whatever the individual can do with their style, whether it be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, whether it be Sambo or whatever it is that you're using, I believe that it comes down to the individual and who can make their skills and their techniques, regardless of where they come from, whoever can make them work wins. And boom, I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. This was episode three and we chopped it up. We got into it. We talked about one, what the fuck was up with all the madness at UFC 281. Every fight on the main card was a finish. Izzy getting finished for the first time losing his belt. God damn. And don't forget, I was out there in my tailor-made suit. Woo! Two, who deserves to be next to challenge for the Bantamweight and Lightweight titles? Oh, we got to find this out. I can't wait to see who gets it because those are my favorite divisions. And three, what's more effective in MMA, Sambo or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? I had a chance to chop it up with Benil Dariushi. He gave me his insight. Thanks for listening to Dean's Got Answers. We'll be back in the near future with a new episode, but be sure to follow me on Twitter at Dean Thomas. Dean is spelled D-I-N Thomas. Leave a rating and a review for the podcast. Tune in next time as I'll have the answers for everything going on in the UFC. You've got my answers. If you have any more questions, be sure to hit me up. DM me. I'm always available. Peace. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.